Honestly, every time I drink, I tend to regret it. So it's fun to a certain point, and then it's not fun. Today's episode on Spot On is entitled, I'll Have Another, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly About Consuming Alcohol. This is Spot On, a health and wellness podcast for college students, soon-to-be college students, or anyone that knows a college student. Spot On breaks through the latest health and wellness information hijacked from media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake. I am a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition in You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. We know that in the latest dietary guidelines that they suggest that if you choose to drink alcohol, uh, you should do it moderately, and that's defined as having a glass of five ounces of wine, 12 ounces of beer, or, or one and a half ounces with a shot of hard liquor. But I'm not so sure that a lot of people know how much is moderate. Let's go to the streets and ask them if they've ever had a situation where they've consumed alcohol to the point, well, it was just ugly. Yes, I regretted drinking alcohol because I acted really dumb. I always re regret drinking alcohol. There's no why. I just do. So I actually have regretted drinking alcohol many times in my life. There have been a few times I've regretted drinking, but normally I am pretty adequate about sobering up. You can get out of hand with it really quickly and then not realize how you're impacting, um, you know, your ability to make good decisions and like, you know, your ability to be like a functioning person the next day. So it's fun to a certain point and then it's not fun. We went and we bathed in the Seychelles baths in Budapest. Not only did I momentarily lose my speedo within the baths, I put my head underneath the water, which is not what you're not supposed to do because I ended up getting pink eye. No, I've never regretted drinking too much alcohol. I've regretted things that I've done after drinking, but I haven't regretted like how much I've had. I guess the only time I regret is because like I had a meeting the next morning and I was like, I should have just like not. And also like the headache I got like for the rest of the day. I'm just really tired. Well, I guess what we just heard from those on the street is we need a little bit of Alcohol 101 to figure out how the body uses alcohol, what it does to your body and your brain, and then let's get dive into a little deeper if, what is the good, the bad, and what is the ugly about drinking t too much alcohol. You know, I've wanted to do this um, spot-on segment uh, about alcohol f from the beginning, and, and I realize that, uh, you know, the, the legal drinking age in the United States uh, is 21, and that many college students are not even 21 um, as yet. But I think it's very, very important for people to understand alcohol, how it all is metabolized in the body. And I wanted to do this because I read the statistic uh, from the uh, National Institute of Health, 
and it said about one in four college students report academic consequences from drinking, including missing classes, falling behind in class, doing poorly on exams or papers, and receiving lower grades overall because of alcohol consumption. So to me, it's, we have to address this and let's talk about this and see what the heck is going on through this whole thing. So how we're going to do this is just what you got from the name um, of the uh, episode here. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and then the ugly about consuming alcohol. I'm so excited today to have on Spot On a registered dietitian, Ginger Holton. She has a master's degree, and of course she's a registered dietitian nutritionist. She's also a, a media spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and um, Dietetics. And she has a private practice, a concierge nutrition practice, with the name of, are you ready for this? Champagne Nutrition. Okay, do you understand why I have her on the show? Now, you understand. Okay, Ginger, welcome to Spot On. Thank you for having me. I just need the backstory. Give me the short backstory. How the heck did you get a specialty in nutrition and then alcohol consumption? I just think this is fascinating. Yeah, it's quite a little niche. Um, actually, when I was doing all my many years of schooling for becoming a registered dietitian, I was working in restaurants and I was bartending oh. all night and all weekend. Yeah, so I started to really learn about alcohol in general and cocktails mm -hmm. and wine, mm -hmm. as well as people's relationship to alcohol and food and the good, the bad, and the ugly, exactly what you're saying. Um, it can be so wonderful, but it can also have some challenges too. You know, I love the way you just said that, your relationship with food and alcohol, because that's really, really interesting. And let's go, we're going to walk through that because there is a relationship between the two, and especially um, outside the United States in, in European, there's a fabulous relationship with it. So I'm sure we're going to get into that. So tell me, you know, this, this, you know, half an ounce of alcohol, no matter whether you get it in the hard liquor or the wine or the beer, how, it, how does your body absorb it and metabolize it? This part is really interesting because alcohol is different than any other substance that we consume. Alcohol actually can diffuse straight through your stomach lining. Did you know that? Wow. Because I know that the majority of the nutrients that your uh, body absorbs take place in the small intestine, which is right after the stomach. And really, so you're saying it's the only one that can be partially absorbed right through the stomach? Exactly. So that's why sometimes, especially on an empty stomach, it, it hits you so fast. So about 20% of the alcohol you drink goes straight through your stomach, straight to the liver, so you are actually feeling the effects of alcohol pretty immediately. And the rest, the 80%, will go through the small intestine, just like our other food, where it gets absorbed and transported that way. Okay, yeah. so, so then then this makes all the sense in the world. You always hear it's like, don't drink on an empty stomach. Don't drink on an empty stomach. This makes sense now because from a, from a physiological standpoint, if it's on an empty stomach and there's not any food in there, then that baby's just going to go right, be quickly absorbed. It, it really does. And drinking on an empty stomach can be very dangerous for that reason because it will be going to your liver more quickly than the liver can break it down and excrete it. So you will be having a higher level 
of alcohol in your blood floating around the system. Oh, wow. So you're going to have a higher blood alcohol concentration? Is that the beat? You know, that's what I read about? Exactly. BAC. Exactly. Right. right. Okay. So the, the first take-home message is, is you know, you want to you know, not have that rush and not tax your liver. So having something, food with it when you drink, uh, or, or that's why, you know, in, that's why the smart Europeans have their wine or whatever with a meal. Hello, and we'll talk something about that. But it, it doesn't make sense to have it on an empty stomach, so making sure that you've eaten something. Okay, so now you have a drink. Okay, so we said 20% of the alcohol is absorbed right through the stomach, and the rest is going to be absorbed in the small intestine. So now we absorbed it all. Now what happens? So now the liver actually has to do the heavy lifting. So the liver has to deal with alcohol, which is actually toxic to the body. Hmm. It has, yeah, it, it, it's very irritating to the body. It's, it's not necessarily a healthy thing for us. So the, the liver says, okay, I need to activate, activate these enzymes. Mm -hmm. uh, they have long names like aldehyde dehydrogenase, for mm -hmm. example, um, breaks it down to something that's not toxic, and then it gets excreted through the urine, um, things like that. So the liver is working very, very hard, but there's a series of pathways that are driven by enzymes. It's all about metabolism. It's very complicated, but it depends on the individual person how quickly you can get rid of that toxin. Hmm, that's so interesting because you you hear about sometimes the health benefits that we'll get uh, to in a, minute, in a minute, but you're saying to break it down, it's really like a toxin, and your liver's got to say, whoa, okay, let me get this out of here. So how many alcoholic drinks can your alcohol, like, I'm sorry, can your liver, you know, metabolize in an hour? Yeah, this is another really interesting point, and it does get complicated. Um, very generally, it takes about an hour for your body to break down about 8 grams of alcohol. So if a, a drink is about 14 grams, oh. you're looking about clearing about a half of a drink per hour. So it does. it's a pretty slow process. It sticks around. But I want to tell you that it, this depends on many things. Uh, male versus female, your age, your weight, uh, your genes, like I mentioned, how, how quickly those pathways are working in the liver, how much you've eaten, like we talked about, mm -hmm. the type of alcohol you're drinking, how strong it is, how quickly you drink. And then people should not underestimate that there's many uh, interactions with medication. Oh, yes. So really people need to think about that too. There's many factors. Some people are going to clear alcohol faster and some slower, but generally about a half a drink an hour. Wow. You know, that's interesting you said about medication because, you know, we're talking not not just medications that the pharmacist gives you. This could be over-the-counter medications like, you know, hay fever medication or you know, uh, if you have a cold or a flu or something, well, you wouldn't be drinking then. But um, so really, you got to be very careful to read if you're taking any medication. It's, it's true. I mean, some antibiotics have interactions. So it's really important to understand what medications you're on, even if they seem common, and even if they're supplements, mm. because the liver actually is processing all of these of all of these compounds, and so the liver is doing a lot of work for us. Yeah, so the whole drink gets to the liver. It's, it's pulled up to the liver, and the liver says, well, I can only do half of you. So does does the other half keep going out in the blood? What happens to the other half? 
Yeah, so you you are getting a higher and higher blood alcohol level as you're drinking because that's how it's being transported around the body as it's getting absorbed through the small intestine. So that's why people will get drunker and drunker and feel the effects more and more strongly as it builds up because you're getting a higher blood alcohol concentration. The liver is not processing it. That's also, it, it is a toxin, so that's when people might have really negative effects like passing out or throwing up or uh, forgetting things. So it can become pretty severe at high levels. I guess I can imagine. I'm trying to visualize this in my head because I got this like liver visual of my liver in my head here. And I'm trying to, you know, do an analogy here. And it's almost like you're, you're driving a car in a busy city and you're trying to get a parking space on the street and there isn't one available, so you just keep on circling the block to find a space open up. And eventually, maybe a space will open up in the case of the liver and the drink. So an hour later, you know, there might be a space for another drink to enter the, the liver to be metabolized. But in the meantime, if it's not a space available, that alcohol is going to be driving around the block, in this case, your body, and wait to get into the liver to be metabolized. Is that sort of the, what I got in my head there? I think so. I think that's a great way to put it. But, you know, maybe the whole time that you're driving around the city looking for parking, there's, like, worse and worse traffic, and it's, like, raining, and you're in a really bad mood because you're not feeling well and you're really hungry. So it's, like, this irritated state. Like, the, the body isn't meant to handle high amounts of alcohol floating around. It's not good for a variety of organs, and we'll talk about that later on. But, um but yeah, it's, you, uh, well, have, it's an us, irritated state. Have you ever tried to get a parking space in New York City? Okay, okay, oh. I, that's the, that's the ugly visual I have in my head about that. Oh, God. That is, okay, so tell me, you said something very interesting. So why are women more susceptible to the effects of alcohol than males? Tell, why is that? Is that, is that because yeah. they, they, they are bigger? So that is the traditional thinking, and you will hear people talking about that. And generally... Females are smaller stature than males, but that's a huge generalization, and we know that that's not always true. Um, that being said, males that are of a smaller stature should be aware that smaller statured people and people of a slighter weight actually do risk running having higher effects of, of mm. alcohol in their system. So mm. you should think about your body size and stature. Um, so yeah. is it the so what is the difference? Is because I'm a female and I do I have less water in my body or, or tell me what what is it that's causing the difference yeah that's part of it too so it does have to do with stature uh, women do have less water on average in their bodies than men so they're gonna get the higher blood alcohol levels faster okay uh the most important thing though actually is that women have less of that enzyme that i mentioned alcohol dehydrogenase which helps the liver metabolize the alcohol like that's the parking spot right so they have less of the enzymes so they're not able to metabolize the alcohol as efficiently as males that's exactly right and this research actually is pretty new it wasn't even discovered that that was the case until the 1990s but that is part of the reason so women um because of that actually are at increased risk for developing damage to their liver, to their heart, and to their brain when they're having long-term alcohol misuse or chronic alcoholism. 
I had read this, that alcohol is a depressant. And that's interesting because when you think of alcohol, you think like, oh, you're at a party and you feel good. But it's really a depressant, isn't it? It is. I think that that's an interesting point. It lowers inhibitions for sure. And it it creates this kind of fun celebratory party attitude, partially because of what it's doing in the body and partially, I think, because of our our celebratory culture around alcohol. Mm -hmm. But the reason that it's it's blunting uh, some of the brain activity, so it is a depressant and it's important to think about how that could be affecting you. So interesting. So we often hear that, you know, you look at the dietary guidelines, it says that uh, for those adults age 21 and over who choose to drink, so it's not like you, this is not like, gee, you should get, you know, you have to have an alcoholic drink because you do not. So if you choose to drink, to drink moderately, and can you explain what moderate drinking is? Yeah, the guidelines are very clear. Uh, The dietary guidelines 2015 to 2020 say if you drink at all and you don't have to and you shouldn't start if you don't, um, we're talking the limit of one drink a day for women and two drinks a day for men. And and that's based on science. And is that based on, um, you know, going above that because there could be problems or what's that based on? Yeah, so there is so much research, actually, huge studies about the alcohol, the effects of alcohol on on people over time. So really, this is looking at the health outcomes. And there is some interesting research says that a little bit of alcohol could be helpful, but more than these recommendations could be harmful. And there's also some really interesting language in these guidelines and a couple others about how you shouldn't drink, like, let's say you wanted to be like, oh, I have two drinks a day for the whole week. I'm just going to drink six on one night, but no, you know, none the other night. So that's not the intention at all. And the World Health Organization actually says you should take two non-drinking days a week. You know, I actually like that because, you know, when I when I teach uh, a nutrition class here and we talk about this, uh, and, and I often talk about the guidelines of, you know, no more than up to one drink a day for women, and uh, no more up to two for men. I always look to the students, you know, the ones that are 21 in the class, and say, look, there's no banking. You can't bank it for all Friday night. So, so don't get me that. I, you know, I can see them in their head. They're adding up, you know, how much that they can do on, on Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, there's no banking, so don't even start with me. So let's get into then the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start with the good. So what are some health benefits of this moderate drinking that you've identified? Yeah, there are some really interesting studies out there. Uh, The first people to really catch on to the potential health benefits as far as actual studies was not that long ago either. The French paradox. Mm. Have you you heard of that? Yes, of course. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was actually first mentioned in 1992. It was in a study on a population in southern France. Uh, France has a very high life expectancy. They do drink two to three glasses of wine a day, but they also eat a lot of bread and cheese and and rich desserts. So they started to see some benefits with longevity and healthy heart outcomes. Uh, The Framingham Heart Study also saw that too, specifically with heart disease. So there is probably a link between light alcohol intake and longevity heart health, and even some interesting research on diabetes, type 2 diabetes. But you know what the interesting thing you just said? Here we go, we're going to Europe. But you, what they're saying is when you have it with a meal. 
you know, this is there, and and that's the difference between Europeans the way they drink alcohol and the way we do. They have it uh, with a meal. They don't go out like for a drink after work with the with, with your friends. Or yeah, they just they drink it with a meal. So I think there's a lot to be said of how it's consumed and what it's consumed with. You know, there probably are many confounding factors because the French paradox is a little bit controversial and it's not completely proven. But you're right, especially about French wine culture and Italian wine culture uh, and Spanish wine culture, really the food and social aspect and and drinking are very intertwined. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to meet my friend and we're going to split a bottle of wine. It would be like we're going to have dinner, like wine on the dinner table and like have this big fun party. Right. And some of the what I had read is the good part of the alcohol or is 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 the, the, how you're drinking it. In other words, what's, what's the source? So something like red wine and dark beer have antioxidants in it, right? And that that's, you know could be beneficial? Yeah. So there is some good research now, not just on wine, but on different spirits and on beer. Mm. And so researchers are not quite sure if it's the alcohol itself, if it's the antioxidants, because there's antioxidants in all these different uh, drinks too, they're not sure exactly what is causing the positive effects. Right. You know, uh, I have to read you a funny quote I got from the USDA uh, about this whole, oh, I drink red wine, you know, and dark beer because of the antioxidants. And, and this person at the USDA said, people don't get addicted to fruits and vegetables and don't get into accidents for consuming too many apples. So in other words, get right. your antioxidants from the produce aisle and don't necessarily have to get it from the wine and beer aisle. So uh, I thought that was really, really right spot on as you want to say this. So what is drinking responsibly then? You know, drinking responsibly, I think, really has to do with sticking within those guidelines Mm -hmm. and also assessing your relationship to alcohol. Are you drinking on an empty stomach for the purposes of feeling it faster? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, do you know that you're binge drinking some nights? Are you saving up your, your weekly drinks to have more? Like, why are you drinking? How are you drinking? And how's it affecting your life? So... The guidelines, sticking with the guidelines, is a very simple answer, but I think the broader answer is what is your relationship to alcohol like and is it healthy? Right. That's really, really good, and that's something we should sit back and think about. What is the reason why we are doing this? And, you know, getting now the good, we heard some good, and now the bad is, you know, there's some downsides of drinking. Let's go to the first one, which is they contain calories, right? A lot of calories. Uh, If protein and carbohydrates are four calories per gram, alcohol is seven calories per gram, and fat is nine calories a gram. So So it's sandwiched right in there, right, in between those carbohydrates and and protein and and then the fat. That's like the cream inside the middle of stuffed Oreo. You know, that's usually not a good place to be, but go ahead. (laughs) You know, you're exactly right. It's really high in calories just on its own. But then you have, you know, added cola or coconut cream Mm. or juice. So you have high-calorie mixers with a high-calorie base, and that's how it adds up. So this is something like a rum and Coke. That could could add up then. 
For sure. It's not even among the highest calorie, but it, it really will add up, especially if you're having several. Um, some of the most highest calorie cocktails are going to be like a pina colada because it's got that coconut milk mm-hmm. in it. Um, a big frozen margarita has got a lot of sugar and just a lot of alcohol in it. And so it's going to be very high in calories. So those tropical sweet drinks are really going to be high in, in calories. Well, how many calories in a glass of wine? You know, it's really pretty reasonable, like uh, 120 on, on average, there's going to be a range, but it's not super high. Well, Ginger, I have to tell you something funny here. You know, uh, my niece uh, was getting married, and so she says to me, uh, you know, for my shower gift, can you get me the wine glasses, you know? So I said, sure. So she gives me the crate and barrel, you know, registry, and I go on there, and I'm looking at these wine glasses, and I actually took a picture of it, and I'm going to put it on the spot on Facebook page. These wine glasses... They, depending on the size and the shape, went anywhere from holding 9.5 ounces of wine to 21 ounces, Ginger. 21 ounces in one glass. So it's that like, is so, wild. so if you say, I just have a glass of wine today. Well, yeah, what is, what size of a glass are we talking here? You know, 21 ounces, because you're a, a glass of wine is like five ounces, right? Yeah, that's that's the serving. I mean, I was at a restaurant the other night, and they had on the menu you could have a six ounce glass of wine or a nine ounce glass of wine, and I was like, wow, right? That is a lot. That's that. So what they're saying is you can have a glass of wine, or you can have two glasses of wine in one glass. Pretty much. That's pretty much. That's right. Okay. Mm. So besides the calories, you got to worry about that. What doesn't it affect your sleep? Yeah, a lot. And, and the funny thing is, well, the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, we're drinking it at night, probably. We hope, you know, I mean, that's usually right. what occurs. So then you go home and you try to go to sleep. And tell me, tell us how it might affect your sleep. Yeah, this is a big one, I mean, for any person, but especially for students, I think, that are in the middle of trying to learn and trying to get up for early classes. What happens is, usually, we're drinking late at night, you go to sleep, and often people will fall asleep pretty hard because alcohol is a depressant. And then as your body metabolizes it, your blood sugar really starts to shift, and you'll wake up, and you'll wake up very seriously and maybe not be able to get back to sleep at all Mm. or have very restless or light sleep the remainder of the night. So there's very solid evidence that... um, Alcohol, especially when you over-consume, is going to really disrupt sleep. And then, you know, you disrupt your sleep, and then you wake up the next day, and then you're a mess when you're trying to get, think and, and concentrate in the classes or take the exam or finish the paper. And that was as I started that segment off about how college students were complaining that it could, it, it's affecting their grades and their performance. So that's interesting. So it affects your sleep. You know, a hangover is – you're talking about drinking is too much – I always tell my students that a hangover is your body's way of saying to you, don't do that to me again. So what <laughs> is a hangover? What What's happening when they have a hangover? Yeah, there's a couple things. Uh, the first one is that alcohol is um, a diuretic. And so a lot of times you're feeling the effect of dehydration. Mm-hmm very simply, and that's sometimes where the headache comes from or the fatigue, and then also that toxic, that toxic compound um, the, that the liver has been processing that's building up, like your body's been exposed to an actual toxin, and so that's where they think some of the nausea 
some of the vomiting mm. and some of the like the the aches and pains in the body actually come from. So that, that makes all the sense if, in the world. Yeah. It makes yep. all the sense yep. in the world. If you got a toxin uh, building up, of course, you, you, you think you know you're, you're going to feel the effects of a toxin. That's what it is. Very very exactly. interesting. So we have sure. the good. We did the bad. All right, Ginger. Let's get to the ugly. What is binge drinking? Yeah, binge drinking definitely has some definitions from some of our alcohol boards in the U.S., but basically it's drinking more than the guidelines on a regular basis. So it would be even having, you know, three or four drinks in a, in a, at a given time. And also they talk about the relationship to alcohol, why you're doing it. So, like, um, there is a, com- a correlation between mental health issues and drinking alcohol so if you are drinking to calm anxiety or if you're drinking out of depression things like that um that's a sign that you can be having a problem or that you might be binge drinking um and then also if you're drinking too much or if you're binge drinking you might experience the negative effects like you mentioned uh missing school missing work uh altering your priorities or like getting DUIs or having accidents or violence, things like that. Right. There's a lot of strong signals right. that this is getting out of control. Right, because, you know, it's affecting your brain. It's affecting your decision-making process. That's interesting uh, what you said, you know, be kept on, keep on talking about alcohol and your relationship to it because I had read an uh, N- NIH uh, statistic very interesting. About 38% of college students age 18 to 22 reported binge drinking in the past month compared to about 32.5% of their peers at the same age mm. but not in college. So you had just alluded to the fact that why are you drinking? Why are you binge drinking? Are you binge drinking because you're stressed and trying to calm yourself down? Are you medicating yourself with that? So it's interesting because we often talk about in all these episodes, there's a lot of stress in college. We always know that and we've heard that and we can experience it, but it's how you manage it. And so if, I would imagine if you start this way to self-medicate in college, you're setting yourself up as a young adult and going forward to um, getting in a bad habit to manage your stress. Absolutely, because it's a Band-Aid. And um, for example, people with, like I mentioned, anxiety and depression, but also PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and ADHD. I know mm. that some college students do have, have that condition. Mm. Um, people with these mental health issues are at much higher risk for alcohol dependency or abuse. So definitely understanding why you're using it and some of your risk factors as an individual is important there. Good information. Great information. Also, sometimes I see, and I, I when I'm in class, I put this picture up on the screen and it's a it's a picture of a bartender. It's not you, Ginger, so don't worry, but a picture <laughs> of a bartender mixing alcohol with an energy drink Mm. and you know I was reading up on this and there was a study of more than 4,000 college students um, and the research found that those who consumed alcohol mixed with caffeinated energy drinks were twice as likely to be injured require medical attention you know make a silly decision like to ride with an intoxicated driver, mm. uh, take sexually advantage uh, uh, of somebody, or be a, mm. a victim of sexual aggressiveness. You know, and, and you know, you put caffeine, the energy drink, with um, the alcohol, and the alcohol is going to make you sleepy. But then the energy drink, 
I would imagine would offset that and keep you awake. So you may have the propensity to drink more, which is this mm. is like the worst combination. And I, I every time I put this picture up, I look at my students and I say to them, if I ever see you doing this, you are so grounded, like no screen time for a week, because I it, it upsets me. You don't realize how dumb this is, and so um, and we have to be careful because you know we talk about you know uh, uh, rum and coke or something else, but now these these beverages and they really got to be careful. Don't put the two together. I'm not big on the energy drinks anyway, but what a disaster ready to happen here. You were quoted. Uh, in the Washington Post just recently on something that a lot of people don't really know a lot about, and it's called drunk orexia. And can you please explain to us what drunk orexia is? Yeah, it's uh, that article is really well done. I think she did a great job, the reporter, about covering drunk orexia in college students. And so it's actually a combination of eating disorder behavior and alcoholism behavior together. So what's happening is people are either restricting their calories or purposefully not eating or and or exercising a lot in order to stay thin um, because there is a lot of calories in alcohol. So basically people want to drink, uh, but they don't they want to stay thin so they are not eating or they're they're restricting in other ways it's a pretty dangerous practice so, so ginger are they like okay i'm going to go out to a party tonight right so what are they what are they are they not eating during the day to... yeah so what'll happen is okay i'm going to go out to a party tonight i know i'm going to drink you know five beers that's you know 500 calories roughly or more so I'm not going to eat dinner or I'm not going to eat lunch or I'm going to go to the gym for an extra hour. So it really is disordered behavior, like eating disordered behavior. And it often is accompanying with binge drinking because you're usually not going to be working so hard to compensate for like a hundred right. calorie glass of wine. It's going to be for higher alcohol levels. So it, it really is distorting the drinking relationship in, in a pretty negative way. Wow, we started this off saying this, hello, don't drink on an empty stomach. So now we're talking right. that they're not eating all day long. You talk about empty, empty, empty. It's a hollow in there. They haven't eaten all day long. So then if they, you start drinking and if it's binge-type behavior where you're drinking a lot quickly and we just heard that the liver can just take so much at one time, whoa, you're going to get an impact. It's like running into a brick wall here where you're going to feel this impact and it could really have such dangerous consequences. It, it really could. And my encouragement in the article is to, if you have this kind of behavior and you identify it in yourself, college student or adult or, or anyone, mm -hmm. to really reach out for help and say, I'm starting to realize this isn't safe behavior, or if you see it happening to a friend or a family member, really to try to reach out for some help too, because um, it's, it can be really bad for the body. That That's great, I mean, and that's good, because sometimes, you know, college students are good watching their friends, and they don't know what to do when they see behaviors mm. that are... That are um, are, are look like they're negative. So what are some signs that you're drinking too much or for the wrong reasons? So, yeah. yeah, there's there's several. Drinking alone or in secrecy, especially the secrecy part, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're becoming isolated from friends or family is a big one. Mm -hmm. 
Also, if you're prioritizing drinking over other responsibilities, uh, school would be a big example, mm -hmm. like if you missed a test or work because of drinking. If you're having mood swings or memory loss, like blackouts, or if you find yourself binge drinking or getting in the behaviors of like drunkorexia, mm -hmm. really you should reach out to a school counselor or a therapist for help. Right, and the student health centers always behavioral medicine. There are on student health centers are in every campus, so they can go there. And is there any resources online, or I mean, of course you can talk to your healthcare professional, um, but any any you know where people could read more about this. Definitely. You know, there's some really good support out there. If you are a student, my first place actually would be like the medical clinic or a counselor. Mm -hmm. um, they can really, there's usually a lot of support on campuses. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's a National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. There's drugabuse.com. There's Overcoming Alcohol Addiction, which is helpguide.org. There's many big national programs that really have so many support options for people. I would imagine, Ginger, that you know, college uh, is is a time when you're making mistakes, you're making n uh, new habits, you're learning about yourself. So this might be a really good time to see. I think I have a red flag with alcohol, and you know something? Let me take control of this now as a young adult rather than 10 years from now where I'm an older adult. So I would think it's almost like this is one of the best times to say, I'm not sure I have a good relationship, as you would say, Ginger, with alcohol. And let me just talk to somebody. And maybe it's, it may not be as serious as you think, or it may be, but talk it out. This is a great time to talk to somebody that's right on campus and get some guidance. And let's, if it needs to be fixed, let's fix it now before it gets um, down a path that becomes more challenging. It really is brave to bring it up. And mm -hmm. it really is pretty normal, probably more normal than people might think. Like mm -hmm. I think, um, especially if someone's drinking in secrecy or, you know, they're feeling like it's getting out of control, they might not realize that there's a lot of other people that also struggle. So just reaching out, being brave, speaking up, it really is part of taking care of yourself. And it's better to deal with it now, like as a young person, than to let the ill effects go spill into your future job, your future family, your future relationship. That's so great. That's such great advice. I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep on saying your relationship with alcohol, like your relationship with food, and I think that I'm gonna keep on remembering that is your relationship, because we know that there are some studies that suggest that a little could be healthy. And we mm. have a lot of studies that suggest a, a lot could be bad. And now we have even more stuff going on with this drunkorexia that it, and, and binge, binge drinking that it can get darn near ugly. So uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting um, beverage in that um, little may be okay, but when we go across that line, it could get you know pretty bad. So I want to thank you for coming on because I think this is an unbelievably important topic for all of us, college students, people who post-college, adults, everybody. Here we go. Champagne Nutrition, which I'm going to love. I, I love your website, by the way. And I want to thank you so much for coming on Spot On. Thank you, Joan. I, I hope next time we see each other, we can maybe grab a glass of red wine together. That's just one glass and five ounces. Okay. Thank you for listening to Spot On. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Joan Salji Blake. 
Please subscribe to Spot On through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcasts. Also, visit our Facebook page to join the conversation and tell us what you'd like to hear in future episodes. And oh, by the way, could you ask five of your friends or family members to download Spot On and subscribe to it? Do I ask a lot from you?